Well, it's my honor just to open the scriptures back up today, and we're going to look at the next part of John chapter 13, so would you follow along with me as I begin to read here in a moment John 13, beginning in verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Well, let's consider now what God's Word says here in John 13. I think we have just a very practical teaching that just presses in on this this idea of love and the responsibility, Highland Crest, that each of us have to love one another. So look with me now at John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. Let me just back up here a bit. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in a spirit And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When they had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him... God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I had said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Lord, as we opened your word today, we we zero in on this clear commandment that we will be known for our love. And so I pray that you would allow this teaching just to ring clear today and where we fail that we would be convicted 
and run to the hope that we find in what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray that as a church family, that we would be known by our love. And when we are hurt, when we are disappointed, when we are overlooked, even by one another, that the response of that will be like Christ. And we will serve others. We will be gracious to others. And we will remain faithful to them. Thank you for your word now. Let us hear it. And we pray for just a fresh hearing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was a little boy, I remember uh, playing cops and robbers with my brother and, and maybe some friends from the neighborhood. And one of the things that you did is if you were the policeman, well, you had all sorts of equipment, didn't you? You had a holster, you had a pistol, and you would have a badge. If you had a badge that identified you as the policeman, if you played Cowboys and Indians, or if you remember watching some of those old Cowboys movies, who was it that had the badge? It was the sheriff. And behind that badge represented good, fair, and just, one that would uphold order in that, in that town. Well, what does it look like for us to have a badge as a Christian? Maybe we don't have badges as much today, but perhaps in your workplace you have a badge. Maybe you have to scan through a door to get from the outside to the inside. Maybe in your school there's, a, there's some sort of a badge that identifies you as one that is enrolled in the school. I kind of envy those Awana students on Wednesdays as they come in, not so much with a badge, but with a vest that says, I'm a part of this group. I remember when I was in school and there was the Cub Scouts. I was never a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout, but they would come in with this really cool uniform. And I thought, man, dare to dream. What would it be like to be a, a Cub Scout like that? Well, what does it look like for a Christian to identify themselves as a follower of Jesus? What is our badge? Some of you are saying, well, that's easy. Look on the back bumper of my minivan. I've got that badge and by way of a bumper sticker. Others will say, no, I've got a necklace, that cross. You see the the cross that I'm wearing that identifies me with a Christian. Others more studious would say, no, I've got portions of the Baptist faith and message memorized. That is how I identify as a Christian. Maybe in our recent days, they say, no, didn't you see my new tattoo? It's, a, it's got a phrase of scripture there, and that identifies me as a Christian. But if we look here at our passage in John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, verse 35, by this All people will know that you are my disciples. You see, the badge is really our relationship with one another, our love for one another. And that is to serve as a billboard for the people that are passing by to say those people are different. They love one another. Sometimes this happens and There's been a song that's been rattling around in my mind from the 60s, and it's sung by Jackie DeShannon. Maybe some of you know what I'm going to say. How about we do it this way? I'll sing the first line, 
and see if you know the second line. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Really good. <laughs> and isn't that true? From that, from that secular song from the mid-60s, what the world does need now is true love. A pure love. A love that is anchored in the truth. And it is crying out to see this authentic love. What I want to do right now over the next couple of moments is let's look carefully at verse 35, rather verse 34, and let's just look at word by word of this verse and review this commandment together. I want to remind you here of our context. If you were with us last week, the first part of John 13, we have chapters 13 through 17 is what's called the upper room discourse. This is Jesus with his small group. This is Jesus with the men that he has been with for the last three plus years. His public ministry is done. And it's just a matter of hours now before he will be handed over, arrested, crucified on the cross. And so we get to eavesdrop on some of these very tender and personal words that he has for his small group, for his disciples. And we look here at verse 34. And the first word says, ah, a new commandment. Now, those of you, many of our, within our church would say, that doesn't sound like a new commandment to me. I remember the great commandment. And that is that we are to love our neighbor as what? As ourself. And Jesus is saying here, here's a new commandment that we are to love one another. Well, there's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, in the Old Testament that says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that word new here doesn't mean that it's been something that's never been in existence. Rather, the word new here in verse 34 means to be made fresh. It is the opposite of worn out. So Jesus is going to bring one of those old classic commandments back to the forefront. A new commandment. We see this all the time in the automotive industry. I can think of vehicles as I, I was a kid. I would see all the time things like the Ford Ranger or the Ford Bronco or the Chevy Blazer or the Toyota Supra. And all these models in recent years have come back. We might say those the new Ford Bronco or the new Chevy Blazer. Well, they've been in existence before, but there's a, a new model of them. And that's what we see here. It says here in verse 34, a new commandment. And if you were to meditate on this verse, you might think to yourself, well, why do I need to be commanded to love? Because love just naturally oozes from me. Well, is that really true? I mean, just think about your own upbringing. If you had a sibling, most of us know what a sibling rivalry is. You know what it's like to have conflict with not only your siblings, but with your parents. Once you get to school, it's just a matter of time before you make enemies there. In the workplace, there's always going to be someone that just drives you up the wall. And therefore, 
we see this pattern from the Old Testament and the New Testament that we are commanded to love one another. A new commandment, I give. And who is I here but Jesus? I think it would be really helpful for you, Highland Crest, today to understand that these are not my words that these are the very words of Jesus being spoken not only to the disciples there in the upper room, but they are still being spoken to you today. Here is a commandment that Jesus has for you. A new commandment I give to you. The context, we'll find out in a moment, is there's one disciple that has been ushered out, so it's actually to 11 disciples at this moment. And here it is that you love one another. The word love here is that God-like love called agape. And then he says this, just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. So what makes this a new commandment is that there is a new standard. If you think back to the great commandment, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Jesus is bringing a new commandment that we are to love one another just as I have loved you. What do you think the higher standard is? Loving like Jesus or or loving the way that we would love to be loved? A, right? And so we want to ask ourselves this question then. How is it that Jesus loved. How do you measure love? What sort of example did Jesus send? Well, there's, there's many different ways that people might try to, to measure their love. Uh, one, back in 1875, the, the longest love letter ever was written. It was a man by the name of Marcel de Lacour, a a painter in Paris. He sent a love letter to his girlfriend named Magdalene de Villelore. This letter contained just the simple words in French, I love you. Again, it was 1875. And so for every year, it was written a thousand times. That is, 1,875,000 times were these words, I love you, written. Now, I wonder how many of you would say, but that is so romantic, of, of this steadfast love that this man had for this woman. Personally, I think two or three times would have been sufficient, right? <laughs> Maybe you would say, yeah, but listen, that was really dedicated love. But would it mean anything different to you if it was actually his secretary that wrote those words? Because that's exactly what took place. So maybe you would say, well, we can measure it by words spoken or words written. Others might say, no, you got to show it. you got to show it by a, a kiss. Do you know what the longest kiss in the Guinness Book of World Record is? You probably don't want to know, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. On February 14, 2013, in Thailand, there was this great competition. The winner got 9000 bucks. And this, this happy couple behind me is named, a guy by the name of Ekachaya 
and Laksana, and their last name is Taranarat, kiss, listen to this, 58 hours, 35 minutes, and 58 seconds. Now just look at the bliss that is on that man's face. (laughs) Doesn't that make you want to do that, you know? (laughs) So now let's look here. How is it that Jesus loved? Instead of just skipping and spiderwebbing throughout the scriptures, why don't we just stay in our context and let's look here at John 13. So I think the first thing that we see as we look at Jesus' example is when he was overlooked, Jesus offered selfless service. We're just going to review again where we were last week. Do you remember in the first few verses? Let's just look again. At at John 13, in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a, a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skipping down to verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here's the first truth that we see as we want to follow Jesus' example here in the new, com- the new commandment, is that when we are overlooked, Jesus comes into this upper room, and there he is the Lord, he is the teacher, He is the one with the dirty feet like everyone else. And instead of them understanding the situation and say, we must go over and serve him and and wash his feet, they ignore him. Remember, the context of this, according to Luke 22, is they were arguing with one another who was the greatest. Well, who's going to lower themselves as a servant to wash Jesus' feet? Evidently, no one. But what does it look like to love one another? To say, I've been overlooked today, but it doesn't bother me. I'm going to offer selfless service. And I don't want anyone's attention or anyone's praise for doing it. I want to look for an opportunity to serve people. Paul wrote, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I've been told this week that one-third of all photos taken place are, what do you think? Selfies. That's right. We are so focused on ourselves. But this new commandment, this love that Jesus has for us, turns the gaze from ourselves onto the needs of people within our church, Highland Crest, other Christians. 
So one way that Jesus showed love was when he was overlooked, Jesus offered selfless service. Let me show you a second one. And that is when, when he was hurt, Jesus offered gracious kindness. Let's look at verse 21. After saying these things, that's after he had washed their feet, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Now let's remember, if you've read through the Gospels before, you know that there were times repeatedly where the religious elite, the enemies of Jesus, sought to arrest him. But there were great crowds there. And as a result, these religious leaders were afraid of the crowds. And so they needed an insider. They knew where Jesus was primarily throughout the day. He was with the crowds. But in the evening, where was he? And if they could get an insider to identify where Jesus was and he would betray them, well, then they could arrest him and would not have to answer to these large crowds. Well, we see here in verses 21 and 22 who, in the verses that follow, who that betrayer is. Think with me for a moment about this Judas. He is one that was with Jesus for over three years. He heard the very words that came out of his mouth. His eyes saw the miraculous signs that we have been covering here in the Gospel of John, but his heart was still hardened towards Jesus. Sometimes we marvel at the thought of a person that at one time was so far from God, and through the power of the Gospel, they enter into a very close relationship with God. But when we think of Judas... We marvel at someone that was so close in proximity to God, but was so far from him in relationship. You'll see there in verse 22 that no one would have suspected that it was Judas. This week I came across the document. It's just a fictitious one, but it but it underscores when you, when you laid out all the apostles, there was something about Judas that would have been attractive to the worldly eye. Here's a little document that's written to Jesus. It says, Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for your managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of our tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As a part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes with an additional fee. It is the staff's opinion, and most of our nominees are you're lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. 
we would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Debedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. And we feel that it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both have registered high scores on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new adventure. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. As they looked at Judas, the disciples had no suspicion at all that he would be the one that betrayed Jesus. And I think it also says something about Jesus, that he didn't treat Judas any different than he treated everyone else. As we look here at verse 23... It says, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. That's believed to be John. There was Jesus. To his right side is John. Verse 24, so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Across the way on that table, this would have been a U-shaped table, Peter is motioning like, hey, who is it? Who is it? And it says in verse 30, 25, So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Soon after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Peter motions across the table, ask him who it is. He takes a morsel of bread, dips it, and he gives it to Judas, which would have been seated on his left the seat of honor under that seating arrangement. And that signifies it is him. The disciples didn't even know what was taking place. This was all taking place under a quiet voice. He gets up, perhaps during the Lord's Supper, or rather the the Passover, they take a benevolent offering like we do. Maybe he's going to take some money and he's going to go out. I mentioned to you that how we are to follow Jesus' example. Jesus here is clearly hurt. And how does he respond to this betrayal? Well, review this with me, would you? John 13, he washes Judas's feet. 
The second thing he does, as we see in this passage, is he makes sure that Judas has the seat of honor seated right next to him. The third thing we see in this passage, a way of a gracious kindness, is he takes the morsel of bread and he dips it and he gives it to Judas. This too would have been a very tender act of kindness. So met with hurt, Jesus responds with gracious kindness. And I think it's telling, as we look here at verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Why do you think Jesus was troubled? I think Jesus was troubled as he considered the future of Judas, the one who was going to betray him. He wasn't so much troubled because he'd been personally offended, but he had spent over three years with this man, and he was now concerned about his eternity. He was concerned about his soul. He was concerned about his destiny. So as we are to love others as Jesus loved, when we are hurt, we are to return that hurt with gracious kindness. Paul wrote in, in Romans 12, verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So then let's finally look at the last one. How is it that Jesus loved When let down, Jesus remained faithful to his friends. I just want you to look at the last three verses of John 13. And I want to remind you who these people are in Jesus' small group. Highland Crest, these are the apostles. These are the revered men that we respect, many whom would write portions of the New Testament. And they are the ones that are failing Jesus. And if they fail Jesus, wouldn't wouldn't one another fail us here at the church too? Well, the context here is, as we pick it up in verse 36, Simon Peter says, I want to go where you're going, Jesus. Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come. In verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, I believe Peter's words here are very sincere. I believe a man given over to feelings meant it very truthfully. I intend to lay my life down for you, Jesus. But here's the thing. When you live by your feelings, you die by your feelings as well. And just a matter of hours, this very person, Peter, who made such a bold proclamation will be denying that he even knew Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. His friends had let him down. Peter had let him down. Not only does Peter abandon, but all the disciples will abandon Jesus. And by the time we get to the end of this gospel, the gospel of John, what does Jesus do? He restores Peter. And who is it that preaches that first sermon in the book of Acts? It's Peter. And God used that sermon to to bring 3,000 souls to faith in Christ. We have this phrase, don't we? If you want to do something right, do it yourself. That's right. Jesus did not subscribe to that. Because he was surrounded by screw-ups that did not get it. But he remained faithful to them. Or how about this one? Burn me once, 
Shame on you. Burn me twice. Shame on me, right? How many times do you think Jesus was burned? But he remained faithful to his small group, to these apostles, to these people. So what do you do with a passage like this where it says again, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Highland Crest, how have you done? How have I done? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Several months ago, I was, I was visiting with a, a young man, and, and he was expressing to me his desire to be a, a God-fearing man, a follower of Christ. I was able to share the gospel with him, and I said, I would love to buy you a Bible if you will read it. He said, I will. So I sent him a Bible, I think a good Bible, a study Bible. Not long ago, I was able to visit with him again and ask him how his Bible reading is going. He says, I've been reading through the Gospels just like you told me. You know, when I read through there, I'm, I'm really convicted. Because I was reading about Jesus saying that you need to forgive people over and over and over again. And Chad, I'm just telling you that I don't do that. And the more that I read about Jesus, actually the more concerned I am for my soul because I don't even come close to living up to what I'm reading in Jesus' teachings. And I said to him, I think in a tender voice, I'm actually encouraged to hear you say that because that lets me know that you're actually reading the Scriptures the right way. Because if you thought for a moment you could read the Word and that would boost your morale or boost your self-esteem and how you thought about yourself, I'm not sure you would be reading them right. But it's when you read the Scriptures as they really are that you see that you need a Savior. And perhaps that's your experience this morning. As you are listening to this teaching of Jesus saying, this is the badge that proves that you are a follower of mine, how you love one another. So how do we respond to this? I'm just saying of myself here, I don't measure up to this. I am not even close. So the first thing I think we do is we confess your lack of love. We confess our lack of love. That I'm being honest now, and and I hope that you would too, that when I'm overlooked, I don't just naturally rush to service and humility, where I can go one of two ways. One would be outright anger. Don't you know who I am? Or I could get discouraged and think, well, well of course you're going to overlook me. Everyone does, or, or, or whatever. I, I can, in, in just small little ways, and say, haven't I told my family to turn that light off? If they really respected me, they would have turned that light off. Didn't I tell my boys to, to clean that basement? Why do I have to tell him a second or a third time? And my response there is out of anger. Who are they to disrespect me? I told my dog not to go over to the neighbor's yard. And he's over there. Doesn't he know that in a moment I could take his life? And it may come to that. (laughs) Or how about this one? When I am hurt... I'm just telling you, this uh, gracious kindness does not ooze out of me. 
retaliation or, or letting it simmer more does. Just a, a couple of days ago on Friday, my day off, I, I looked at all this wood that needed to be split. It was a nice day, so I said I'm going to load up the, get the log splitter out there, pull the lever, and start splitting some wood. And in typical Chad fashion, even before I grabbed the first log, I'd move something else, and I put a big sliver in my thumb. And I thought, I'm too busy. I've got too much wood here to split. I don't have time to mess with trying to pull this out. I tried. It was too embedded in my thumb. I said, I'm just going to keep going. And guess what happened? It just gets worse and worse and worse, and it's, it's bleeding. And, and as I was moving wood, eventually it kind of came out a little bit, and I just I pulled it out. And it got me thinking about when we are hurt. And there's a sliver put into our own heart, our soul. We got two choices, don't we? We can either deal with it immediately, talk to that person, or just choose to resolve it with forbearance. Say, I don't need to bring this up. I, I can, I can take this. Or we can retaliate, you know? Here's what I think happens to us. I think the scripture would support this. When we are hurt, if we don't deal with it, that hurt turns to unforgiveness. And if that unforgiveness remains long enough, it will turn to bitterness. In Hebrews 12, it speaks about a root of bitterness that can take root in our hearts, in our life. That root can go in there where it just kind of takes up space in our heart. And I don't know about you if you've ever planted a tree or a bush. Roots go deep. And here's the funny thing about bitterness It's like everyone else sees it in our lives but us. And we walk around with this huge weed of bitterness growing from our heart. And people say, what's the matter with that guy? And we don't see it ourselves. And we can with absolute precision rehearse the hurt going into the tone of the voice and and the words that were said to us, perhaps even the clothing that that person was wearing at that moment. We just don't ever move on from it. And then how about when people let us down? Like Jesus was let down by Peter, or Jesus was abandoned by his disciples. How do you and I handle that? What about in the church? If there were churches during the first century, like there are today, and Jesus went to a church on a Sunday morning, and if at the first moment that he was offended or hurt, he left that church, my guess is he would attend one church a Sunday. Because it's just a matter of time before someone will offend you, and you'll have to move on to another church. So here's what we are left with, Highland Crest is this one clear command. He says, I give this to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. We fall short of this. So the scriptures tell us, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we got to get real honest, Highland Crest, and say, this love does not exist within me. I need help. And there's this great promise that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. And then secondly, 
We have to ask God's grace, not only to forgive, but to change you, to change us. Jesus would later say in the Gospel of John, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his sons. If we want to follow Jesus' example, we have to follow where he went. He went to the cross. And he went to the cross out of love to die for our sins. And it's there where it is possible that we can have this forgiveness of sins. But here's this magnificent truth. We not only get our sins forgiven, but when we were justified, then we received an endless supply of God's love to offer to others. It says in Romans 5, you could read all about that in the context of being justified. But in verse 5 it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen to this, loved ones. The moment you trusted Christ and you were justified and your sins were transferred to Jesus on the cross and you did this by faith and repentance, a magnificent thing took place. God poured his love into your life through the Holy Spirit. So as a result, you might be sitting in your chair today looking at this standard of this great commandment and saying to yourself, I could never love like that when people have disappointed me. The truth is you cannot. But you have been given an endless reservoir of God's love that is to enter your life, and it did upon the day you were converted, but then it is to be poured out or outsourced to others, so that when you are overlooked, when you are hurt, when you are let down, you can love with the love of Christ and offer that to others. And then right along with that, how can we apply this? As we are to root out any bitterness that we have. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32 speak about this, that we need to get rid of the bitterness in our life. I wonder if you've got unforgiveness in your heart today, if you would be honest enough to say, actually, there's some bitterness going on there. I think of myself, and maybe you are the same, that we can have this thought of, I'm just going to pray through this. And, and I'm going to pray for the next 45 seconds. And, and at the end of that 45 seconds, I, I fully anticipate that God is going to release me from that bitterness. I wonder how many of you have ever tried to dig out a bush or dig out a tree. Late, there, late this past summer, Elijah and I, I said, Elijah, let's, let's transplant that one tree over there and let's put it over here on the other side of our yard. So we went over and we kind of in team dug out a hole. And then we went on the other side of our yard and there was a a pine tree that was about eight feet tall. And I know, hey, this is going to take a lot of work, but but let's do this together. So we began to dig and we began to dig and we began to dig. And and after a few hours, we're like, I got other things to do. This, This is really, really hard work here. So it was a few days later, I went back to it. And after a lot of effort, 
a lot of sweat and a lot of dirt, pulled that thing out, moved it over, and transplanted it. And if you've got a root of bitterness in your life that's been there for not only days, but weeks, months, maybe even years, it could be that God in His grace would immediately release you through a prayer. But it could be more work than that. It could be continually going back, memorizing Scripture, continually releasing that, and saying, whatever it takes for me, to get beyond this. I'm committed to doing that. Why? Because this is the great commandment. This is the new commandment for my life, that I'm to love. I'm to love others as Jesus loved. I heard a story this past week of, a, of a, an example of that, of a, of a husband. He was talking with his wife, and, and she had said something to him and hurt his feelings and instantly became bitter. He went into his bedroom and began to pray. And he prayed, God, release me from this bitterness. He finished his prayer. And he got up and said, all right, I feel better. But you know, she still shouldn't have said that. And so he went back down and he prayed again. He cried out, oh God, release me from this unforgiveness and bitterness. And he got up. Okay, you know, I feel better. But I don't know why she said that. She still shouldn't have said that. And then he says, you know what, I really need to camp out here. And I need to address this in my heart. And that could be that's what it is for me and it's what it is for you as we think of this application today. I want to remind you what it says here. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we want to supercharge our gospel witness then we love one another. And loved ones, let's work on that by the grace of God, through the power of the cross. Let's not offer a simple, shallow veneer of this love, but let us get into one another's lives. And when we are overlooked, and when we are hurt, and when we are let down by one another, let us follow the example of Christ. And through His grace, love one another. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, I can't think of a more practical word for us that a three-year-old to a 103-year-old can understand. It's the badge of love. It isn't so much a necklace that we're wearing or the a paragraph from a, a statement of faith that we can recite. It's who are we when we've been let down and wronged. Thank you for giving us this example. I thank you for revealing to me how I don't even come close to meeting this standard. I need a Savior. We need a Savior. You're calling us to a standard that is way beyond us. So we confess it. We acknowledge it. We need to be forgiven because we have not loved one another as you've loved us. And even this morning, I can't help but think there'll be application 
that we need to talk with one another. We need to address this. And there'll be those of us that will say, I, I really need to get serious about this. I need to go on to a little plan here over the next couple of weeks or however long it takes to pray through this, to meditate on this, to take that root that has been in my heart for way too long and by the power of the gospel to have it pulled out to be free so that my witness would be supercharged. It would be clear so that the testimony of Highland Crest would be supercharged. It would be clearer, go out with power that we actually put into practice what we preach. Lord, I pray that for our church. I pray that for myself, that you would do this supernatural work. There would be true love for one another here. I pray for those that have never experienced that love that right now they could to say that doesn't exist in me how can I know such a love if that's you friend just call out to him say I don't measure up to that standard I need a savior that will save me I need to be forgiven I need to know this love because I've never had that before cry out to him right now where you're at Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to be Lord and ruler of your life. Ask his spirit to fill you. You will follow him the remaining days of your life. That you might be renewed. You might live out why you are here to know God. Lord, we thank you for these great truths. And may we live in them this day and the days that follow. In Jesus' name, amen.